0: This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today is a very busy and special guest. It's Rick Doten. He is the VP of Information Security for Centene and also the CISO, the CISO for Carolina Complete Healthcare. Centene, by the way, is the largest managed Medicare organization in the U.S., and also national leader in managed long-term services and support, and the number one carrier in the nation in the health insurance marketplace. So it is an honor to have you here, Rick, today. I know we want to talk about cloud security, governance, and some things in SecOps.
1: Yeah, great. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) So post-COVID, 52% of employees I hear are working from home in most organizations, You've stretched your capabilities into the cloud more and more. What has that left you with? Is it easier deployments? Is it more security risk? Is it identity management risk? Where are we with cloud computing?
1: I've been saying for the last couple of years that thank goodness that this pandemic happened in 2020-ish that we had the cloud. Because if this happened in 2010, we'd all be trying to VPN back to our corporate offices. We'd have exchange servers that were sitting on our infrastructure. And it would be be not as happy of a service. We also have lots of software as a service in the cloud that we can get to. So it was not like before where we would have to dial into our organization to get access to services and applications. Now from anywhere, we could just go up to like the cloud because everything is hosted. It made it a challenge from a CISO perspective. Because and I had written an article about this ten years ago when I was a CISO of a mid-sized company. I called it "Standing on the Walls of My Castle," where I built all these protections to protect everything that's inside my castle walls. And all of my users went out and were building cities outside. And I'm looking at them, and I'm like, "How do I protect them? Because they're all out there, and they don't need to come in here anymore." So thankfully that this technology was here to help us through this, but what it really changed was kind of like how you monitor and you manage the users because they're not within the environment because we usually would layer physical security into a network by saying, okay, I have a trusted, a device that is trusted. That's in a trusted area. Now I have a device that I'm trying to maintain trusted outside of a trusted physical area. And so we need to get better visibility onto that. Those are probably like the main things that that the main thing of this kind of transition into folks working from home is just maintaining visibility and control and security of the devices that they're scattered across.
0: There were a lot of investments in network access control over the years because BYOD, bring your own device, people coming and going in and out of corporate offices, independent contractors, consultants, and maybe even some insider threats. Who knows? I hate to pick on the cleaning company, but you never know if they're plugging in a rogue laptop at midnight, unless you have network access control. Now, post with cloud computing, we're talking about extranet network access control. And this even goes further into identity management, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it, we saw this with mobile. It becomes less about a community of network based on connections, and it becomes a network based on identity. And with mobile 10 years ago, you are not connected. So it was your identity that got you into these services and these applications. And the same thing happens today from a cloud standpoint. So there's more emphasis on the identity and also having different gates because the access may be different and there's different things that you can watch traffic going to the cloud through proxies or through eyes seeing what your users are doing. There's telemetry you can get from those ingress points. Like I say, if it's a proxy or the APIs from the actual application in the cloud itself and even from the endpoint. And the, you know, the ability to say, all right, I have a trusted account but not on trusted, play, trust and a trusted device, but not in a trusted environment. And then how do I equate to be able to manage the risk of that? And I look for certain scenarios that may be a leading indicator of some kind of risky behavior, either from the user or from the device itself. In
0: healthcare, I'm just curious which has a little more teeth to it. Is it PCI compliance or is it HIPAA compliance?
1: HIPAA. So we're a payer. We don't have provide so payers pay providers and providers are doctors, offices, and hospitals. And so doctors, offices, and hospitals are taking payment from end users. We're the ones who would pay those for a health insurance standpoint. And so they would send claims in, and then we would pay those claims to the, to, to the doctors and the hospitals. So we, as an or particular organization do not have a lot of PCI, but they also are looking at, there are also different things. One PCI is a control framework where we are trying to meet specific controls to be able to continue to take credit cards and we are making sure we're doing certain things hipaa is about privacy which is about the appropriate use of data based on the regulation and also the consent of the person who gives it to you and the rules by which it can be shared and for covered entities and non-covered entities which when we're talking about healthcare data so yeah, short answer to your question is, yeah, HIPAA, <laughs> HIPAA and high-tech, especially high-tech, because that kind of is the, goes into, it's not just us who are responsible, but if we share data with a business associate, then if something happens, then we're still responsible.
0: Now in healthcare, unlike banking, the FDIC doing audits of banks, I'm assuming US has not been running around doing annual audits of healthcare providers. I heard they put up a wall of shame as their way of saying, let me shame you into certain best practices What are your thoughts on that? And is there a better model?
1: It's hard to scale and particularly like from a government agency, there's requirements, but most healthcare providers are tied to the state. So like Medicaid is run by the state and so our customer is our state and they're the ones who set the requirements and we have system security plans that meet their requirements and that they will do regular reviews to make sure and we have to update the documents and notify them when we change things and things like that other states and i'm aware because i've worked with many different state health plans have similar things some are less stringent some are more stringent and so it's more about the the privacy the wall of shame is something where if something is pretty egregious that you did something that was not like, oh, I did everything, but I forgot to do this one thing. Or, oh, I don't have a weak version of TLS running on a browser to support legacy application instead of TLS2 or something like that. Those are not the things. It's, oh yeah, I completely just threw away a whole bunch of stuff in a dumpster, or I had a bunch of stuff on a on, that I didn't encrypt and I had it all over the place. Those are the things that kind of really make the case.
0: So would, and you're talking about, which is very interesting, it's about privacy with HIPAA high tech, would privileged access management, you talked about risks of the wrong version of TLS or a week, throwing things in the dumpster. So there's physical security issues, and there's social engineering issues, training your employees to be better at how they manage records. Do you think it's tools and technologies or training, which takes the lead?
1: It's got to be a combination. Because the humans are the weakest link. We're slow, messy, and prone to mistakes, but we can't expect the humans to be perfect. And so how do we make sure that we compensate for that? And so training is important, but having proper technical controls and visibility and good hygiene, I'm on the editorial panel for the CIS critical security controls. We updated to version eight last year. And... Part of that, we really, prof, we really have like to talk about that because these are the basic hygiene. Just make sure that what's on your network, that you have configuration management, that's up to date. You do vulnerability management to keep things current. You date, protect your data in the way that needs to be based on your industry and that you identify your users and be able to identify when there's an incident respond to it. And these are all kind of fundamental things. And a lot of times people fail on the fundamentals because we may be chasing like some very exotic, like attack of some sort that we're trying to protect against. It's not going to help us if we don't realize that, oh, I have 50 boxes that I didn't know were on my network because I don't have good asset management and having the best technology on 75% of your devices, because you didn't know there were 25% that weren't there is not going to be as helpful. So I would take the important thing is a comprehensiveness. Number one rule for any CISO is know your business, know how you make money, know what would be a bad day for the business, know what's important to the business and what needs to stay up because that could be part of it as well. Interestingly in healthcare, everyone thinks about it's more of a privacy issue in HEPA, but it's really about availability because hospital will go out of business much faster if patients start dying because they don't have access to information to make good decisions than if there's like a data breach because someone forgot to do something.
0: Wow. So in healthcare availability, especially as you say, hospitals, that that leads me to the IOT question of the day. A lot of hospitals have deployed IOT devices, including even refrigerators for blood banks. And heaven forbid a hacker or a cyber criminal or a cyber terrorist gets in remotely, exploits one of those devices and turns them off, ruins the blood supply. Can these things happen in healthcare? And what are your thoughts on IoT security threats?
1: So yes, absolutely can happen. The likelihood is low because what's the benefit of that? So we got to think at the when we look at the adversaries, we need to understand where the motivation most of the motivation is for money. And so what they would much rather do, and which is they're doing all the time is just do ransomware to do, to, to distort them to get money. And they're really not out to do something completely malicious. I'm not saying that's not possible, but it's a lower probability. OT is, it certainly something not have to manage with. We as a payer don't have, big hospital systems aren't dealing with it, but certainly the providers and my peers in the industry do. It's about isolation. It's about trying to keep them updated, but you don't have as much control because those just like with the energy and the manufacturing control systems, the vendors are, a much more, much more concerned about any changes to their, to, to their system. So they won't let you install things on them or let you do certain things to them. So the best technique is isolate them as much as you can in that sense. But it's also while it's in healthcare and it's relatively grow and it's growing and it's relatively new, but they've been around for a while. It's still been a decades old issue of dealing with control systems that are legacy operating systems that are decades old, that you know, may or may not be able to be separated. And so we've learned to manage that risk through kind of monitoring. And if anything goes on around it, and this is where resiliency comes in is just make sure it doesn't go down because that's the important thing of it. And we'll try to not to put too sensitive data on it that I won't be able to control. But the, when we are looking at, at that, then, you know, it all depends on like, again, go back to what's the biggest risk to the business and kind of manage it and be able to address what that risk is. And if, and if it's making sure that all of your pumps are going and your refrigerators are going, then that's a resiliency thing. And that's what you'll focus on.
0: Is beyond ransomware, is crypto jacking a hot attack methodology in healthcare?
1: I would say this or it's hot. It's whatever is the easiest way to make money. And if you can then take over somebody, someone, the classic thing from for years now is you'll leave your S3 key in a public, in a public distribution of where your development software is. And then someone takes it and then like spins up a bunch of servers and does some crypto mining. Yeah. We know about that. It's easy to not do that. It's forgetting to lock your car. I'm like, yeah, you should know better. But is it a big one? If it's available and it's easy to do, then they'll do that. If not, then they'll just do ransomware in a traditional way.
0: And on security operations, do you have a best practice model you want to share with our viewers and listeners?
1: Yeah, we start with the fundamentals. What do you have? Make sure that you have all the things in all the right places and all the places that you think they are do crowdsourcing when doing asset management. So get the telemetry from your different tools and then make sure that visibility is appropriate to like what your process is. Technology supports a process, not the other way around. And so if something is going to tell you that we're going to handle everything for you and give you a single pane of glass to make it easy, then run the other way (laughs) because it's not easy and you just need to really put the effort into understanding and having the follow on. So there's a lot of things when I was a virtual CISO for five years, the two things I found missing most often in organizations were governance and an instant response capability. They had plenty of tooling. They had plenty of alerts. They had plenty of logs. But what do you do once you have that? It's okay. This went bad. Well, I need to investigate it. I need to resolve it. I need to maybe recover from it. I need to see if it infected something else. Having that process and the people to do that are important. And if you don't have the staff, then it's something that you may need to outsource and do. So comprehensiveness is the most important thing in that. And having a plan for when the alert goes off, what do you do? And it might be call somebody, but have
0: a plan. Great advice. Rick, is there anything else you'd like to share with our viewers and listeners that we haven't covered today?
1: No, you know, just that technology supports a process. That's my main mantra. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of things that the, we get very excited by seeing the tools that do lots of incredible things and the, and the tools are vital because we can't just have a bunch of policies, procedures, and protect our business. We need the technical controls. And so leverage frameworks that already exist that may be for your regulation or, and the frameworks are hierarchical. I was on a, talking about this in a briefing I did just yesterday for an InfraGuard chapter event which is that you have risk frameworks, you have str- you have program fr- risk frameworks, NIST 880, you have program framework, like the NIST cybersecurity framework or ISO, you have control frameworks like CIS critical security controls or ISO or NIST 800.53. And then you have attack frameworks like the minor attack framework or the Lockheed Martin kill chain and these kind of stack. So it's not, you're picking one or the other. It is where do they fit in into your paradigm of what your program is.
0: Is there a URL you'd send viewers and listeners to on frameworks or standards or maybe the standard body that you're part of?
1: Not, not off the top of my head. Certainly that when we talk about governance and frameworks, it's something that, that we don't have, we don't have a lot of consistency and there's a lot of, and I don't want to say there's debate, but there's just a lot of preferences about how thing people do things. And, you know, I'm sure some of the better security education programs have governance classes that talk about frameworks. I have my own YouTube channel where I talk about, and I have a recent video where I talk about governance and frameworks in what I just described. And, but I would say there's the thing I've always said about cyber Security, there's a lot of great information out there if you look for it. It exists, it's out there, it's been with just finding it and trying to find unbiased versions of it. And so, your independent standards organizations will have some good things, and some of your better, like I said, training classes will have some good things.
0: That's great advice. Folks, you heard it here first from Rick Doten, who is the VP of Information Security for Centene, an amazing company and one of their subsidiaries. He's the CISO for Carolina Complete Healthcare. And, Rick, thank you for coming to the hot seat today.
1: No, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. You've
0: been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power.
1: Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7x365 by live streams. Visit them online today at cyberdefense.tv and cyberdefense.radio with your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Milewski.